When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Sugar and Silk, brought to you exclusively by Ace Podcast Nation. My name is Ben Doughty and I'm delighted to be joined this evening by the man who usually coordinates things behind the scenes, Ace journalist Simon Willis. How's it going? How are you, mate? You good? Excited to be back, mate. I enjoy uh, you know, chatting now and again. Get back I quite like these the shows camera. when you come in. I quite like these shows when you come in and Michael can't make it. Much as I love Michael, and he's my brother in, in aspiration and thought, uh, it sometimes, when there's the two of us, it's difficult for, we're both competing for airtime and, and to say everything we have to say about, you know, the, the uh, nuances of the sweet science, whereas you play it much more like a journalist, like a straight man, like an interviewer who kind of throws it over to me, which obviously I like being a prima donna and having to try and <laughs> keep the silk, you know. And so in... In accordance with that vein, Simon, if I, I'll throw it over to you so you can lead the show and I can bounce back to you if you're all right with that. Yeah, so I mean, obviously we had a quick chat earlier and about some topics and um, there's the big fight which has been announced, or the big fight in some people's eyes, which is Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury. Now, like for people maybe who don't follow MMA, just to give a very brief background on Francis Ngannou, up until pretty much last year, he was the UFC heavyweight champion, looking pretty yeah. formidable. But he also had several big fights that were coming his way within the UFC. And he chose to leave and he went to a, a smaller MMA organization who I would assume gave him a bit more freedom to do boxing like this. So for me, I find it incredibly frustrating as an MMA fan to see someone who's in their prime coming you know that was probably only got a few years left missing some huge fights in mma to really see if he's you know among the best heavyweights uh, of all time and can he compete with those genuine legends and instead he's going to go and fight tyson fury yes he'll get paid a lot of money i accept that but you know let's be honest tyson fury is going to school him on a boxing front and it's 
going to be very one-sided and I don't think it's good for either sport because Tyson Fury is also not fighting the people that perhaps he should be fighting. So I don't know where you stand on it, but that's kind of my general background on Ngannou and my feeling, general feeling towards it. Well, it's, it's interesting to hear the same kind of um, energy from the MMA side because I, I obviously always think about things, my kind of whole worldview is boxing-centric and I, I tend to judge every situation situation in life through a boxing lens so it's interesting for, for someone who's an mma buff like yourself to, to voice very similar um i don't know if it's concerns but a very very similar kind of um disappointment in the situation you know for the for the same wholesome reasons when you really are a you know a, a hardcore fan of that particular sport and that particular combat you know subculture and you don't think it's in the best interests of that particular sport. Um, and I'd just like to make it clear before expanding any more. I said it only yesterday. I'm not going to report on this. I'm not going to discuss it. I'm not going to be publishing updates, you know, because usually you do, right? There's a fight. You, There's little rumours going around. People are training in the gym. There's the trash talk going back and forth for, you know, at any point in the last 40 or 50 years. That has been a, a staple thing with fighters, especially in the social media era. People like Tyson Fury have taken that to another level. I think some people are getting bored with Fury's shtick when it comes to that kind of trash talk and all these cliches, to be honest with you. But I said I wasn't going to cover it and report it. And I'm not, by the way. I'm not. This is not me reneging. What this is, is Michael Olajide is in transit. And he's been doing something very important in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's travelling back to um, New York uh, tonight, I believe. He's not available for this. Otherwise, we'd be talking about something else. With Simon Willis being, um, you know... Um, a man who knows a thing or two about MMA and is needing a subject. That's why we're talking about this. After this, I won't say another word about mm -hmm. it and I won't be covering it. But um, but no, the thing is, Simon, like you said, um, for Nganu's, because people use money as a justification for, for pretty much everything these days. And, and I understand it because we all need money. And most of our kind of aspirations and dreams all seem to be tied up with money and finance. The idea that, you know, money sets you free, right? You know, and, and, of course, and yeah. you don't have to borrow anymore and do things you don't want to do. So, um, I don't know about the pay scale too much in MMA, except I know it's vastly um, inferior to boxing and what the top five fighters command. Um, I realise that the MMA guys don't get that. People often make that point, by the way. They say a guy like Dana White's done a great job of promoting the, you know, the, the sport of, of MMA with his particular brand, the, the leading brand, the UFC. But they said it's good for the fans, but it's not good for the fighters, whereas boxing is has pretty much become the other way around at this point. But... Um, I just feel, like, like you say, um, Fury, I don't know if he even realises the public backlash. Because when, you, when you're when someone like Tyson Fury in his position, you tend to have people around you. I don't want to say sycophants, but you tend to have people around you who are in the business of telling you that you're great, yeah? And, and being yeah. on side and, and defending you as well from, from negativity and, and, and creating a kind of bubble around you. So I don't know if Fury even knows how unpopular he is becoming with the rank and file of boxing fans. And the fact that the sport is screaming out for a unification World Heavyweight Championship fight with his opponent number, Alexander Usyk, or even people who'd love to see him fight Anthony Joshua, or, you know, um, that's, that's still a big fight regardless of, you know, how you feel about how they stack up against one another. And I think the fact that Fury... <laughs> Nobody knows the real truth of these negotiations, but Fury has been blamed for swerving the other guy. And with the best one in the world as outsiders, it does look like Usyk was more keen to have that fight than Fury was, who seemed to be content to mess him around. Which is which is really odd, you know, because I don't, th I I still don't think Tyson Fury would lose to Alexander Usyk. But 
maybe he doesn't fancy the fight for whatever reason. I think this was the worst time to come back with with a crossover event, you know. Um, yeah. And I just think that... It's, it's, like I say, I, I'm not even saying that I don't understand why people would do it. Certainly Nganu, who's, who's getting the chance to make the kind of money he's never made before, you were telling me. You know, you know that's what everybody else says. So, But I just think it's... it's um, if ever there was a time when Fury needed to win some PR back, it's purely in the boxing world, um, it, it is now, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, so for me, like I'll come at it from two angles. In Ngannou's position, where he was in the UFC, he was the heavyweight champ. He'd beaten the long-serving champ. Um, let's be honest, he wasn't struggling to pay the rent, like first and foremost, you know. Like yeah. in the UFC and MMA generally, of course, the money is in the lower parts of the sport is nowhere near boxing. Like you have to get to the very top and market yourself a certain way yeah. to get the sort of big money. But the money is there if you achieve that, which he had got to that level. You know, he was the heavyweight champion. You have John Jones, who's effectively known as the greatest of all time, who was moving up into heavyweight. So that fight was there for him to prove if he could go with, you know, be another sort of legend, if you like. And I then look at it from the Fury camp and the Fury side of it, whereby you've got, you know, like you say, the Usyk, the Joshua fight. And it just feels like, as fight fans, whether it's MMA, whether it's boxing, whether it's kickboxing, whatever it may be, if you're a combat sports fan, you want to see the best of fight the best. And if you, if someone likes Tyson Fury or Francis Ngannou or John Jones, whoever it may be, if they're being touted as being the greatest of all time, and then there's a kind of new face on the block, if you like, whether it's a Usyk or a, you know, and Garni as it was, and John Jones, like you want to see if they can compete with these perceived greatest of all time, because you know a lot of people regard Fury as being well, in that conversation. Well, you say that, and we've spoke about that before, didn't we? Remember my epic yeah. rant about that <laughs> um, when you asked me went on the Danny Batten fight show did I consider that Fury was in the conversation for the greatest heavyweight of all time? See, this is the problem, right? Resume-wise, I don't think Tyson Fury is anywhere near that conversation. Not anywhere near because he hasn't been active enough. His opposition hasn't been uh, of, of sufficient quality. And he just doesn't touch the sides of a, of a Joe Lewis or a um, Muhammad Ali or a Mike Tyson even, you know, or Larry Holmes. Because he just hasn't had that competition and he hasn't had that level of activity but some people base when they talk about the greatest of all time some people base it on head to head and literally could this guy beat anybody who ever went before him and some people see that there is an argument for fury on that basis because um because he's so big right you know the the, the day he's undefeated although he had he's had um at least you know the one close call with um so, sorry you disappeared then for a second i don't know why sorry everyone i'm back i'm back yeah. Uh, he's had the one close call with John McDermott many, many years ago, Fury. But because he's undefeated and because he's a, a coordinated giant of six foot nine with, you know, quite admirable hand speed and, 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 and movement for, for, for such a behemoth, some people will tell you that there's no way that the, the, the smaller guys like Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali who preceded him could have dealt with him. Uh, I don't accept that without argument either. And I think ultimately... You have to judge fighters in their time. 
and I think it does come down to those those golden questions of who did you fight, who did you beat, and who beat you in and around you. Who, who did you fight? Who did you beat? When did you beat them? And who did you who beat you anywhere near your prime years before you could be considered to be completely shot? Ala, you know, Muhammad Ali versus Larry Holmes or Trevor Burbick. So I don't think Fury is in that conversation, and I think he's drifting ever further out of that conversation. The only thing I would say, right, Simon. Jack Dempsey is regarded as one of the most iconic, greatest heavyweight champions of all time, right? You know, um, Dempsey, you know what? He didn't fight for three years after he beat Georges Capontier. And then he didn't fight for another two years again until he until he eventually lost, you know, fought Luis Angel Furpo, then, then had another break for two years and fought Gene Tunney. So he was inactive for five years of his seven-year reign. That is certainly a situation that would not be tolerated today. And he, but Dempsey would have been getting plenty of grief for that, you know. Do you know what? The other thing people say that the guys like Dempsey and even Jack Johnson before him used to do all these exhibitions and they used to go on the road and do these vaudeville shows. James J. Jeffries, even, you know, in the early part of the 20th century, they would do these, uh, you know, they would fight in theatres and they would, they would put on exhibitions. Um, and so some people say, leave Fury alone, get off his case. You know, Muhammad Ali fought the wrestler in 1976, Antonio Noki. And some people say, you know, heavyweight champions and great heavyweight champions have always done these kind of sideshows. But in um, Joe Lewis certainly did many, many exhibitions. But the thing about Joe Lewis is he seems to have knocked out a lot of the guys who faced him in exhibitions. So you've got to wonder to what extent there were exhibitions, really. Yeah. But there's a whole load of fights Joe Lewis had under the guise of exhibitions, which are not on his official record, you know. So the thing then is, in that era, of course, certainly <coughs> in Jack Johnson's era, Cinematic cinematography was in its infancy, so the only media was the you know was the radio and the newspapers. So people wanted to see the heavyweight champion of the world in the flesh. So there was a lot of market for those tours where they would just literally go around the country, certainly around the United States, putting on shows for people, so people could see them box and so could see them train and put exhibitions on. And that and that went on for you know for a lot of years. But when people use the Ali in Oki thing as if it's some kind of justification, because they say even the greatest did it. Um, I don't know how much you know about that particular event, but it was regarded as an embarrassing, tawdry, money-grabbing farce and basically a failure. It didn't, it didn't work. It was like it was worse than watching paint dry. And and Ali was quite, you know, and anybody else involved in it was quite rightfully panned. It, it, I remember reading about it when I was a kid, and it said in June 1976 the money grabbing became ludicrous. You know, uh, uh, when they put together this kind of cross-discipline wrestler versus boxer thing that wasn't a success that wasn't someone you look up to and say well he did it so that that is some kind of standard some kind of gold standard of of, of a crossover mixed martial arts event you know um mayweather mcgregor um that was a financial massive success wasn't it i, I would say it was a success in other ways because i think a lot of people did watch that even, to be honest even i watched that i, I don't know how i'd feel about it today even it was already six years ago but back in 2017, I was setting an alarm for it and I did watch it, you know, and um, and uh, and it did telephone numbers, didn't it? So you could yeah. certainly, you, I, I would say you'd hold up Mayweather McGregor as a as a more uh, valid example. To be honest, if you if you if you felt upbeat about Fury and Gano, and I know that some people do, I would say that was the one that you would um, you go with. Having said that, most of the boxing fans that I know seem to believe that Mayweather carried McGregor and he could have gone through him in a couple of rounds if he'd have felt like it. 
uh, you know. And, you know, this is the other interesting thing, Simon. You can talk to me about this. Yeah. Somebody that's when I said yesterday, I'm not going to cover this fight. And I won't, by the way. All right. I'm talking about it now, but but I will not cover it after this after this show tonight. But somebody said to me, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, he is a really seriously freakish puncher and, and a genuine threat in Geno, even though it will be his professional debut. He is he is a legitimate threat, even allowing for that. And that uh, you know, because and and so he even tried to say what there's not a great difference between him and Wilder because everybody says Wilder can't box, but he has freakish power. But there is a massive difference between Deontay Wilder and Francis Ngannou. One was an Olympic bronze medalist who had all those fights. People say he knocked out truck drivers and short order, you know, uh, coffee waiters and stuff. But he had a very long unbeaten record, full of KOs, you know, um, and he boxes at an elite, an elite level as an amateur. So you know. The Fury-Wilder fight, uh, when it happened, Wilder was a reigning world champion and the fight absolutely made sense at the cutting edge of the world boxing industry. It made a lot of sense, you know. So the comparison with um, with uh, Wilder, I think, is, is rather disingenuous. But um, do you remember when people said that McGregor's power was going to trouble Mayweather and that was that was, he was going to have a puncher's chance? And do you also remember McGregor's power being utterly irrelevant in yeah. the in the action when it transpired. Yeah, so I was one of the ones who felt that if... Because you've got to remember, Conor McGregor, when he fought Mayweather, was not the Conor McGregor that you see today. He was at his peak in terms of performance and everything else which goes with it. He was a bit younger. And, like, I did feel like maybe if he... You know, I didn't expect it, but I thought maybe if he catches him with that left hand, Mayweather's a bit older... Could it be a thing? But you felt like the boxer would obviously win because it's a boxing fight, isn't it? So then, yeah. My 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 worry and my irritation by this fight, I think, will grow as I see people try to sell it as a genuine threat. Could Francis and Garden knock out Tyson Fury? Yes, of course. There's a a very very small chance that he could. Francis and Garden has got freakish power in MMA. But he's also struggled when he's been taken, you know, in deep into fights. He kind of finished a lot of his early fights very early. And also, Francis Ngannou's training and his technical boxing skills, I think it's quite insulting to compare that to Deontay Wilder. Because Deontay Wilder, yeah. <laughs> and let's not, you know, let's remember, Tyson Fury got up from Deontay Wilder's punches, which were... Yeah. You know, much more technically times. sufficient than what for anything Francis Ngannou is going to do in this short space of time between now and yeah. when he. You know, I just find yeah. it a bit, like you said, disingenuous. I think is a very good way to describe it, as you did. But also, I that that kind of because they have to build it up like that to sell the fight. They have to build it as a threat. But ultimately, I think having seen the McGregor fight, having seen Tyson Fury get up from those, you know, those knockout punches from Deontay Wilder when he looked completely finished. I find it yeah. very difficult to think that he's then going to get hit by a UFC or an MMA fighter who's never been the most technically sufficient in terms of his, te you know, his technique in punching and stuff. Yes, he's got power. Yes, he could, you know, hit a lucky punch. But come on, let's, let's well, not be silly. I don't actually believe... I don't actually believe in the lucky punch kind of um, okay. syndrome. I must be honest with you. I think 
maybe lucky is the wrong term to use, but what I mean is, you know, of course it's a fight. So if it, if we buy into the fact that it's not a uh, like a fix, if you like, in terms yeah. of when I say a fix, like that there's some sort of agreement that someone, you know, someone's going to win or no one's going to be knocked out. If we buy into the fact that it is a fight, and then, of course, Francis Ngannou has some sort of chance, just as any journeyman does against yeah. the up-and-coming fighter. But I just... Well, it's... you say that, but once again, it's a minefield. It just even Talking boxing with me is definitely a minefield anyway, because mm -hmm. journeymen, journeymen don't want to win. So the idea of, of trying to say they have a chance of winning is that, that that's another qualifying conversation because a journeyman doesn't go out with the intention of winning. See, some people don't know what a journeyman is. A lot of times, some people think a journeyman is is a decent class fighter who, who tumbles slightly shy of world class. You'll hear some guys described that way. I've heard no. Kirtland Lang described as a journeyman in a book, I think in the Four Kings, the otherwise wonderful Four Kings book by George Kimball. He describes Kirtland Lang as a lightly regarded journeyman. And I've heard Buster Douglas uh, also described as, a, as an unregarded or lightly regarded journeyman when he beat Mike Tyson, which is obviously nonsense. They're not journeymen at all. You know, they're no. world-class fighters. And, and they've featured in two, two of the more big, bigger upsets in the colour TV uh, of boxing. But, um, see, it's funny, Psyche, because talking about Mayweather McGregor, I didn't happen to believe Floyd carried him as such. Everybody else, everybody disagrees with me. They said, oh, no, come on, you can see he carried him. But I thought Floyd was just fighting in cruise control. He's never been like a seek-and-destroy Mike Tyson kind of fighter anyway, has he? Um, no. And I think at that age... Against so still a bigger guy who was who was a tough guy who you know who who was a graduate of a, of a very brutal combat sport you know elite level so he's a bigger stronger physically stronger you'd think big, uh, guy than Mayweather and he can take a battering we know that right regardless yes. of, of where it's coming from and, and and Floyd was not a puncher first and foremost although he hits harder than than, than most people would imagine he he would do um, so I think he just took his time. Which is slightly different to carrying somebody when when you absolutely. literally absolutely could have stopped them and you chose not to and you held them up almost. I think Floyd just really took his time uh, being Floyd anyway, and that's his mindset as a fighter: safety first, leading with his defense, as, as the Silk says. And uh, I don't think he carried him as such. Now, will, as to whether there'll be an arrangement between Fury and the other guy in Geno, um, this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You, you can't rule anything out, can you? My thing is, at some point, we, people should stop buying into these things. So there's no point complaining about it. All right, I'm talking about it now, admittedly. You know, when I wasn't mm -hmm. intending to, it was only because you were stepping in for the silk. I thought it was a natural yeah. that you and me could address this and we'd get, we'd get a show out of it. Uh, Neil and Nicholas, by the way, says, Engano telegraphs everything. It's ridiculous. So I was going to bring that up now. It's spot on. Absolutely spot on. Everything he does is very, very telegraphed. So someone of Tyson Fury's quality as a boxer will take him apart. Like it's, that's just a fact is I find it very difficult to make an argument for Francis Ngannou outside of, you know, he catches him with a punch that just so happens to be flush. And I find myself talking myself out of that because 
I've seen Tyson Fury get up from, you know, that famous Deontay Wilder punch and other, you know, instances as well. So, yeah, it's a weird one. Yes. Well, the other thing is, like you say, Fury can take a shot and Fury, we know, we've seen Fury get up off the deck. We know he's got those kind of minerals. The only thing you can say is a fighter sometimes loses his punch resistance at some point. You know, that, that can happen. That is, that is a legitimate syndrome where a fighter suddenly loses his punch resistance. But um, what you're telling me is that, and it's not as if it comes as a huge surprise, but you're telling me the other guy is basically from your sport, as it were, is being served up here. He's being sacrificed here for the sake of a, of a real big, big money event that they're disingenuously selling as a game changer and some real crossover, you know, pioneering phenomenon. And you're saying he's basically being sacrificed against a guy in his comfort zone and he's going to get beat, um, at, at, you know, at a canter. And that is that. And it, and it's something that everybody, everybody understands that really. Yeah. I think it's like, it might not be an arrangement in that, you know, you're not going to beat Tyson Fury, but to me, Everybody is aware what's going to happen, you know. Like I think Francis Ngannou knows. Look, he, he what Francis Ngannou will do, I would expect, is start off fast and and try and do something early, and then I think you know Tyson Fury will deal with that with his head movement and his body movement, and then he will just sort of pick him apart. And I expect him to do much what Floyd did in that kind of like prolong it as long as he can without actually yeah. stopping the fight to make it a spectacle, to make people believe that Francis Ngannou is in yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I because, don't like it. Yeah. I, I really don't. Sorry, you're breaking up now. I don't know if it's my connection or yours. So. Uh, I yeah. think it might be yeah, yeah, okay. So I've got to pick uh, uh, Danny Graham up on this, by the way, when he says Floyd was a destroyer as he moved up the weights. He adapted his style because his hands weren't shot. Uh, he was never a destroyer, Danny. He was never a destroyer. Yes, he was much more aggressive and more of a finisher, and he was and he was a bigger puncher in the lower weight divisions, but he was never a destroyer. That was never what he was about. He was a boxer, you know, and, and, he, and he was a defensive genius. He, he threw a lot more combinations and, 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 and was more spiteful. As a, as a super featherweight and a lightweight, and he did stop a lot of guys. I'm not saying he didn't, but I don't. I wouldn't say Floyd was ever a destroyer, as such. You know, Sonny Liston was a destroyer. Mike Tyson was a destroyer. George Foreman was a destroyer. Floyd Mayweather, yes, as he got older, moved up to welterweight, and his hands were, you know, he had bad hands or he, he had hands that he needed to manage. One of the reasons, what one of many reasons, I suspect, why he never fought outside of Las Vegas towards the. Uh, the last several years of his career was because they said he was allowed by the Nevada State Athletic Commission to get the lidocaine injections in his hands, you know, that, um, you, yeah. that certain commissions in other places in the States, other parts of the world wouldn't tolerate. It was against their rules, you know. So Floyd, Floyd perfected a single shot-picking style that was really, I mean, that really brilliantly he perfected that style where he, he was able to control the pace of a fight it was very difficult to hit him with a clean shot and impossible to hit him with two clean shots in a row. And, uh, you know, and he, he was just so good at throwing that, that left jab to the body, that counter lead right hand, and that, and that what some people call a check hook, right? Or just a, he'd jump in with a left hook sometimes as well. And Floyd would often throw those single shots and then sometimes he might put two together, like a one-two. You'd hardly ever... Um, you'd hardly ever get him put, throwing three punches in a row, Floyd, you know. Um, mm. I do get where you're coming from, Danny. In any case, you know what I'm like. I'm just, 
I have to be so exact about everything. Um, I mean, it silks like that, you know. We were having an argument just the other day. You might have seen about as a child throws a left, a left jab at Jersey Joe Walcott in um, what would have been 1951 in their third fight. Walcott slips and throws a left uppercut and knocks him out. Silk argues that's not a counterpunch, and we got into a whole thing about it, arguing was it or was it not a counterpunch. So you know, you know how anal we can be. Forgive me for saying that word on, on a family show, but you know what we're like, you know. Um, yeah, of course. It's... As I say, um, bring ourselves back what? around. Um, I don't. Go on, sorry. I was just going to say, let's. Lester, I would like to ask you about some of the other fights within the heavyweight division, because obviously you've got this Engano yeah. Fury thing, which is it is what it is. We all kind of everybody involved knows what it is. We all as fans or viewers know what it is. Whereas then you've got because of the lack of ability to put together a fight with Fury with Joshua or Usyk we've ended up with a couple of other different fights. So we've got Joshua versus uh, Dillian White and it's Dubois versus Yusek, yeah. isn't it? Now, yeah, yeah. is Fury hoping for a Joshua win and uh, maybe Dubois to take the title off Yusek? So he's got a... F so he's, you know, the fight with Joshua opens up more for him or is he... Do you think he's open? You know, he's just... Is he avoiding I those fights? I don't think he's avoiding Anthony Joshua, but see, they offered Anthony Joshua a fight, as I recall, in in really unrealistic time frame. He had to sign the contract, and Eddie Hearn said, "You know, you just don't sign contracts that quickly. You don't do it by Monday when, when of a fight of this magnitude. We need to we need to do our due diligence on the contract, and we don't have time to do it the turnaround time." I believe Eddie Hearn on, on, in that particular instance. You know, Fury offered him the fight when he lost to Usyk for the second time. You know, so the um, that, that's the thing. Um, he was basically saying beggars can't be choosers, take it or leave it, because it was a, it was unexpected and it was one of them things, you know, what what the fuck, we'll still sell tickets, let's do it, even though you have two losses in a row to the guy who should be fighting. But, um, so, I don't, I would have thought he is, I don't know what goes on in Tyson Fury's head, to be honest with you, and I suspect he's very capricious and very changeable. You know, we know he's had, the, you know, the mental health issues over the years and and, and talking about bipolar and depression, etc. But I would have thought an, an impressive win by Anthony Joshua in this Dylan White rematch works for him because it definitely it definitely propels AJ into into bigger and better fights with whoever, you know. I don't think there's much money to see uh, Joshua versus Usyk again. So the only, the only people that people really want the only guy that people really want to see Joshua in the ring with it well two of them there's Wilder and Fury right so yeah. I think an impressive showing um catapults Joshua in a better position in both of those scenarios you know and I would have thought from Fury's end I mean he beat Dylan White without you know I don't, I don't think Dylan White won 20 seconds of that fight back uh or was it last year? It was right at the end of last year, I believe. Or um, that was just all at the end of last year, July, wasn't it? It was about 20, a year ago, 22. was it? Uh, White versus Fury, or thereabouts. Uh, yeah, twenty twenty-two. Yeah? Okay. So, so you know, yeah, I, I would have thought Fury would is still interested in fighting Joshua at some point. You think? I mean, you you see, Frank Warren said, didn't he? He said, "Why did we make this Engano fight 
He said, because we tried to make the Usyk fights and we tried to make the Joshua fights and they didn't want to know. Well, the thing is, the, whether that's true or not, Frank, the public don't believe you. The, yeah. the vast majority of boxing fans do not believe you. They think certainly, I don't think he's swerving Joshua. I just think he messed him around and offered him the crumbs to come and eat at his table. And, and Joshua and Hearn still think enough of their end that they're like, nah, sorry, we can't. We can't mm. do it on those terms, I'm afraid. You know, if you're serious, then come back to us with something serious. Um, Usyk, you know, people make a big deal. That guy, Dev Sani, who's kind of a mouthpiece for Frank Warren, I, I believe, he was saying that it's been confirmed that it was Usyk's team who walked away from the negotiations. So they're the ones who are swerving it. But they walked away from the negotiations, as far as I can gather, because they were so fed up with the machinations from Team Fury. Eventually... It's hard to keep up with it, Simon. As much as I can remember facts about things that happened like 100 years ago, rhyme and verse, it's hard for me to keep track of these modern Twitter wars with the negotiations, yeah, all, that, all that in public thing, and the he said, she said thing, because I seem to recall that it was... 70-30 was the offer to Usyk, right? And everybody made a big deal of that. And he said, OK. But then they said, if you win... Correct me if I'm wrong, because it, 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 could, it could have been something else. But I believe they said, if you win, you still only get 70-30. Did they say that? It was something like... I, I believe it was. I think they wanted the rematch clause to be on the same terms. There was that certainly something unattractive about the rematch clause to Usyk. And he ended up walking on those grounds, basically. You know. Um, yeah. But what was my point here? My point being that people think that Tyson Fury is swerving Alexander Usyk. That's what they believe. They believe the Ukrainian is there, available and wants to fight. He's fighting Daniel Dubois next time because that's one of his mandatories. I believe it's his WBO mandatory. Once again, it's hard to keep up. So he's doing what he's supposed to do and he's taking care of business. He's not fighting an MMA fighter or a cage fighter or anything like that. And he, whether whatever the truth is, behind closed doors, he is winning the PR battle. People, Tyson Fury, think that you're swerving him they think you, you know, you're a fraud at this point. You know, saying you're a gypsy fighting man who'll beat any man born a woman. People don't believe you anymore, and they're getting really fed up with this. You're big dosser kind of stick. Uh, you know, that's that is where things are at. Yeah, and I think can I ask you a question as someone who's a bit more on the outside of like the boxing kind of ins and outs and stuff? Do you think if we go with the assumption that Fury is for whatever reason? swerving the both fights really i think he'd probably fight joshua now but i think he could have fought him you know a couple of years ago when he was on you know when joshua was at the top of the tree as well so uh, do we think it's fury's team that's being difficult should we say with regards to putting these fights together or is it tyson himself like i'm interested in if it's the fighter who is kind of making it difficult, or if it's the team as a whole. Well, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting, Simon. He fought Wilder three times, right? They put that fight together so easily, the first one, and the, and the subsequent fights. There was doubts every time that they weren't going to happen because it just seemed too easy and too quiet. They weren't talking about it. They weren't promoting it. They were just getting on with it and doing the deal. The fact that he fought Deontay Wilder three times in close succession, including during a global historic pandemic, I think that proves if they really want to make these fights, they can make them, right? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I so, think it's... So, ultimately, I think it comes down to Fury, um, I suspect. Because, 
like I say, every time they said the Wilder fight, I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't happen. And it did happen. And Frank Warren made a big deal. He said, trouble with Eddie Hearn is he talks to the media every 10 seconds, you know, um, and, he, and he scuppers the negotiations because of that. You know, he goes on too much about what he's going to do and what he's trying to do. And he says, if you do this behind closed doors, this is the thing, because Leroy Nicholas, who's commented on it a few times tonight, he said he thinks all negotiations should be out above board and filmed and in public. I think, I understand where he's coming from. I think it should be the opposite. Um, because I'm aware of an era in the 80s when they made all these, you know, monstrous main events like Leonard Hearns, Hagler Hearns, and Hagler Duran, and, 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 you know, and Hearns Duran and Leonard Duran, all the rest of it. And not just that, things like, you know, Alexis Aguayo versus Aaron Pryor a couple of times, and Larry Holmes versus Jerry Cooney um, was another big super fight, you know, that they didn't have any trouble making at all. Or, or if they did, you never heard about it. You just heard about it when it was signed and done and dusted. And, and the whole process seemed to be a lot quicker. So I would be in favour of a more old school practice where they don't talk about the negotiations so much. I know that's hard in this era, you know, of all these social media platforms. But that does appear to be the enemy. Because remember, back in 2020, I swear it was, Fury said that they had the Joshua fight made. Could have been 2021, I forget. And remember, he said, I just like to, I just got off the phone with Daniel Kinnahan. Yeah, well, get in there, my son. That we've got the fight. And then as soon as he mentioned Daniel Kinnahan's name, it seems like he fucked it, you know. Um, and yeah. then that, you know what happened there. You know the, the chain of events that was kind of set off then. They, the big, the higher law enforcement agencies across the world were always gunning for, for that particular contender anyway. Yeah. But Fury made it worse by, by shouting the guy's name out. He, presumably he was asked to do it, I'm guessing. But do you know what I mean? That was one of the times when the fight went. To, you know what? That was what happened. He just said that it wasn't because he mentioned Kinahan that scuppered the fight. What scuppered the fight was that Fury suddenly said, we've got to fight Wilder again because Wilder has taken us to court in Manhattan and the guys, the judges decreed that he's got to fight Wilder a third time. That was the problem, wasn't that's it? Right, and Eddie Hearn right. said to Bob Arum, <clears throat> what are you going to do? And he said, well, we're going to fight Wilder. And, and Eddie Hearn was like, are you having a fucking laugh? Yeah. And he says, after everything I've done moving heaven and earth with the Arabs, to get That's this right, one yeah. over the line. Are you telling me you're not even going to try, you're just going to roll over and comply with this ruling? You're not going to try and contest it. You're not going to try and override it, supersede it or postpone it. You're just going to fight Wilder. So Eddie Hearn's whole uh, conclusion at the time was he was the only one, that side, you know, Joshua and he were the only ones who wanted to make the fight, their side. Yeah. He said, Aram and Fury and Warren never wanted it to begin with. So, so I'm slightly contradicting myself because I think the team... If you went with that logic, the team don't seem to be overly keen on it either. But I think the buck stops with Fury ultimately um, in this day and age. I think. I think ultimately, if a fighter wants a fight, they can get it when they're when they're at the top of the tree, like Tyson Fury. If Tyson Fury wants to fight someone; he can make it happen. I think. Um, so there's a couple, couple of comments I wanted your opinion on. Um, Danny Graham says uh, AJ retires after Dillian White fights. Quick answer to that. I don't know, you know, because it's weird. The other day he said something. It's interesting to him, he said, to see how much hunger he's got left. He said, let's see what I've got left. Mm. Let's see um, how much desire still remains, which is a bit of a strange comment to make, right? Um, yeah, it is really odd, isn't it? Something's making some banging sense. Yeah, it's my dog. I apologise. Okay. She's so, deaf, so she can respond. Presumably... Presumably, he's disagreeing with something I'm saying. He's trying to get your attention. Yeah, 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 yeah uh, absolutely. Yeah, so um, 
It, it didn't sound like the most hungriest talk for Joshua when he said it'd be no, interesting it to see how much desire I've got left and see where I'm at, see what I've still got left. Like, he's already admitted he's on the... He's, he's past noon, as he's it were. thinking about it, at least, you know? Yeah. Um, um, but, but no, I don't think he'll retire after it, though. I mean, I, it, it, he was making strange noises just the other day, but I don't think so. If he loses, I think he retires. Like, I think if Dillian White was to beat him, I think he would be done. I think it would be... I think he would have taken too many losses recently, and I think that would be the end. But by the way, I've got to pick Robin J. Neil Catani on Robin Neil J. Catani up on this. He says Eubank and Ben's contracts were very public televised with Nick Owen and Gary Newbon, weren't they? Was that the beginning of public contract stuff, Ben? No, that's completely different. They did a public signing. You can sign the fucking contract on television. That's fine. That's great. I'd love to see more of that, you know, with him in the studio, especially if you could cut the atmosphere with a knife, like that wonderful kind of um, dynamic and rivalry that Ben and Eubank had. That was TV gold. But they mm. were not negotiating on TV, okay? Yeah, Signing a contract is... People always done that, like when, you know, when people sign promotional contracts on TV, don't they, as well as mm. fight contracts. But that's neither here nor there, Robin. It, it, they, they um, you know, yeah, he, he's, understood, he's understood me. So... I can stop talking now. Um, mm. It's a different um, thing. There was someone, uh, uh, Ishan Pickering said that Fury's the A-side. I guess, I, I would uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's implying that because Fury's the kind of A-side, that's why he gets to di dictate, you know, X, Y, and Z regarding yeah. first splits and stuff like that. But again, I take okay. it back to, if he wants it to happen, he can make it happen, can't he? Well, do you know what happened right one time? Uh, Muhammad Ali, when he fought Richard Dunn in... Um, Munich in 1976, yeah? Mickey Duff was on the verge. Of it. Ali was getting something like $3.2 million rings a bell, yeah? Or, okay. or it might have been pounds. Yeah. But either way, uh, Mickey Duff was on the verge of taking Richard Dunn home because he was waiting for the money. Duff, Duff uh, sorry, Dunn was only getting 100 grand, yeah? With Ali getting about 3 million or there in the region of. And uh, he said that, no... The money's not there. The purse is not, you know, the money's not in escrow, whatever. The purse has not been guaranteed. I'm taking Richard home. And Ali called for an urgent meeting with Mickey Duff in his hotel room. And he said, Mickey, please don't leave. He said, I'll give you the money. He said, I'd fight that bastard dump for nothing anyhow. Uh, or that son of a bitch, he probably, I think he probably said. And he gave him the, the, the hundred grand. He said, he said, because I think Mickey Duff said for many years, that Dunn didn't know that Ali paid him himself. So... There you go. There's an A-side right there who pays out of his own pocket rather than see the show go south. So that's a historical example of that thing. But, you know, somebody made a point. If you look at what the purse bid, winning purse bid for Usyk versus Dubois was, which is happening in August 26th in Poland, it was a it was a fraction of what any Tyson Fury fight would be. So it said, you know, you don't, buy, you don't win a Tyson Fury fight for a first bid of... I can't remember what it was, but it was something like 8 million, all right? Or, or yeah, eight, 12, yeah. Um, so they, they, I guess Fury is the A side, you know, because as as much as Usyk is very much the fan favourite now, even in Britain, you, we saw that one too, didn't we? Do you see? Uh, was it John Fury saying, "Can't believe how many people, how many, you know, uh, go against him and support a fucking foreigner," you know, and they've all turned but on him. This is the thing, though, isn't it? Is right? Is people are getting frustrated because they want to see that that was as soon as Usyk destroyed Joshua. That was the fight everyone wanted to see was uh, Fury versus Usyk. And we've, everyone has wanted to see that fight since the moment that Joshua and Usyk fought. And it just yeah. hasn't come around. 
Usyk didn't destroy Joshua, did he? He, he just no. beat him twice. Beat him yeah. handily, should we say? He, he beat him handily yeah. the first yeah. time for sure. Yeah, that was he, the one I was referring to for the first one. The second fight was closer, wasn't it? The second fight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so in in the first fight, it looked like Joshua was on the way out in the last twenty seconds. He he he'd been, he'd been hurt against the ropes, hadn't he? And he was getting tagged at will. But I, you know what? I actually think he weathered that storm. And was by the time he was poking his tongue out, I think he weathered the storm, and he mm. was going to be okay. But even if it had been another minute in the round, I think he found his. He found his equilibrium at that point, but um, yeah. but yeah, people listen. People want to see that. People want to see the two best heavyweights in a world fight, and I think we we can agree that the two best heavyweights in the world, Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. Personally, yeah. the longer these things go on, the more cynical I get, and the less I care. Obviously, I do not care a damn about Fury versus Ngannou, and I said I'd have this conversation tonight, and then I promise, you know, I swear to God, you won't hear another peep at me about the whole thing. Listen, if someone gets shot at the press conference or something, I will cover it. I will mention of course, it. Yeah. That will be news. That will be world news. But but I'm not covering what Fury says and what Ngannou says and showing people on the pads, training and you know, all the rest of it. I'm not doing it. I'm not watching it on the night. Read my lips. I'm not watching it. Mm-hmm. And I won't report the result or anything like that. You know. Um, and the thing is, Simon, what I can tell is, as an MMA guy, more than you are a boxing guy, um, Probably about 70-30, right? To use a, yeah. a topical fractional yeah, breakdown. Uh, yeah, so um, it's interesting that you've got the same view on it, that, you, that you're not in favour of it either. You don't think it's in the end. But I suppose, because see, Fury can fight anybody for mega bucks, right? Yeah. The difference on your side is you must concede that Engano's only getting this kind of money one way if he fights Tyson 100%. Fury. So presumably you sympathise with him a little bit more than, than I might sympathise with Fury. Yeah, I think, look, I will never criticise um, a fighter who maybe hasn't been paid what they're worth or what they could have got going to chase that bag and get in the big bucks. I don't begrudge him that. But as an MMA fan and a boxing fan, I want to see Tyson Fury fight the very best heavyweight that he can possibly fight. And I want to see Tyson. I wanted to see Francis Ngannou versus John Jones. And I will never see that fight now. Because they'll See, and that, be that's interesting to me as well because obviously I've heard of John Jones as well, and I heard his name was in Fury's mouth. Yeah, all right. of as well. So when when Frank Warren said they had a game changing thing to announce, I figured it'd be one of the other two. But it's interesting for you to put them in context again, in context against each other for me, and, and you're telling me that's another fight going begging while we pursue the the dollar, the almighty dollar at all costs. You know. Yeah. Uh, in this John Jones would have been a bigger fight. Yeah, go on. I was just going to say, John Jones financially would have been a bigger fight for Tyson Fury, and in because he's a bigger name, simply. But that's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought from what from what little I understood of it. But do you know what's interesting, right? When you talk about how did this all start, because if, there was some influencer tournament on last night where some girl flashed her breasts as well, right? Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so somebody might. We know that the lunatics have taken over the asylum, and we know it's all gotten out of control. But it's interesting if you want to chart when this happened, because an unlikely source for the argument I'm going to come back at you with now is on the week of the Hagler Leonard fight in April 1987, they had an assemblage of experts on a panel, including Thomas Hearns, uh, Umak Orvani, Harold um, Gil Clancy. And Arthur McKenzie, okay? And they were asking them about the fight. Now, you, Michael Vanny, who was a brilliant writer, 
possibly regarded as one of the the great. He wrote about other sports too, but he's probably regarded as one of the greatest English boxing writers that we've had. Journalists who wrote for the for those papers like the I think it was the the Guardian or the Independent, one of those broadsheets he wrote for. Okay, and he said, "I've got to tell you, I don't like, I don't approve of this fight very much." And they were saying why? He said because he said as good as Leonard is, he said I think it's ludicrous that he can come back after one fight in five years at welterweight nine very unimpressive rounds as, it, as he called it against kevin howard and he jumped straight into a shot at the undisputed middleweight champion of the world to place that in complete context it was only for the wbc title so it was it was only the wbc that approved leonard as a challenger and was allowed to leapfrog james shuler who, who'd been Hagler's number one contender i think with all the bodies for forever never got the shot because Hagler was too busy picking more glamorous commercial names from the lower divisions, you know, like Thomas Hearns and Roberto Duran and, and John Mugabe, all all guys from the lower divisions that he fought in, in mega fights, you know. Yeah. Um, and he said, this is wrong and this, this will not end well. When, when a guy's, he said, we know boxing is an unregulated sport and we know that money is the real matchmaker, but this is too blatant an example of rules being circumvented and due process being circumvented. And he saw Sugar Ray Leonard as the start, getting that fight with Marvin Hagler, as the start of something which would eventually get ugly. And uh, as much as I love Sugar Ray Leonard, and I love that fight, and I, th I think he absolutely justified the fact that he was uh, sanctioned as a challenger because he won, and he won fair and square, by the way. Anyone who wants to argue me on that must know better by now. But uh, but it's an interesting point, isn't it? That, that yeah, if you, if you uh, start with a high end point with two all-time greats, maybe you end up with not just Fury versus Ngannou, but the fucking Jake Paul, um, Tommy Fury nonsense, and, and influencers flashing their tits live on the zone. I'm not laying all of that at Sugar Ray Leonard's door, but it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it is really interesting to me, and it, and it's interesting about um, we've talked a lot over various different shows um, about fight the best fighting the best, and then avoiding each other like Pacquiao and Mayweather did for so long until they're past their prime and kind of picking yeah. and choosing your uh, opponents. And it's interesting that even in those great eras, it, there was a bit of that going on, you know, back then as well, because did that guy yeah. you mentioned, did he ever get his shot? The one that was James Shuler. No, in the yeah. end he got a shot against, um, sorry, James Kinchin. So Shuler, sorry, Shuler. Uh, I, I said that wrong. Shuler was the guy they called Black Gold who got knocked out by Thomas Hearns on the undercard of Hagler Mugabe, then died in a motorcycle accident about 12 days later, tragically. Oh, never. He was the long-running ABF champion, but NABF champion. But James Kinchin, James the Heat Kinchin, had been Hagler's number one contender for a very long time, not just with the WBC, but I think with the WBA as well, and possibly even the IBF, because Tyson... Sorry, Hagler was the you know in that three belt era as people are now retrospectively referring it to, uh, you know. But um, Kitchen eventually got a shot at Thomas Hearns. I believe it was the the inaugural WBO super middleweight title, um, and he was very unlucky because he had Tommy out on his feet, but Tommy hung on to him like a barnacle, um, and the referee let him get away with it. It was it was really really um, questionable. Uh, officiating, mm. as I recall, but no, unfortunately, James Kitchen, he he must be one of those guys um, who looks at the scene today and thinks, "My God, the money I could have made and the, the easier route I could have taken." But he was waiting forever for a shot of Marvin Hagler, never got it, and then eventually ended up getting the shot 
to pick up a strap against Tommy Hearns. And it, and it, perhaps he would have beat Tommy if the referee hadn't have been um, so on Tommy's side, you know? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think back there. Um, here's a question to kind of guide us towards the end of the conversation yeah. on the heavyweights then, I guess. Is um, out of the three fights, will include the kind of whatever it is, exhibition as well. Out of those three fights, which one has, or put them in order of chances of like an upset, if you like. So if you assume that Usyk, Joshua and Fury are the favourites, kind of put them in order for me in terms of best chance of an upset and why. The best chance of an upset is with uh, White, Joshua too, because I don't think there's a clear favourite in there. I, I, if you're able to look at the odds quickly, that'd be interesting to me. If not, yeah. don't worry. But because I could check it on my Sky Bet, man, I'd have to leave this this uh, oh, no, thing. Because uh, I, I think there's, you know, the, you you'd expect. I would fancy Joshua to win, but I think that one's a toss up, and I I'm not as down on that fight as some people are. I think it makes sense as two guys in a certain position fighting to stay to stay in the game, to stay relevant, to stay in the big league. There's plenty of rivalry. They fought before one time. It was a very long time ago. Well, I don't. I don't have a problem with White Joshua too. I think it's an interesting fight. Um, I can tell I you that... uh, the odds if you want. Um, Go on. So just as an outright winner, um, Joshua is pretty much like one to six, one to five, two to thirteen, and then you can get four to one on Dillian White at the moment. Okay, yeah. so it would be an upset. So that that, yeah. that was the best chance of an upset. Danny Graham fancies it. He says White stops Joshua. I think Four it's an up. interesting fight, and I I, uh, I will look. I, I will quite look forward to that one. To be honest with you, Simon, I think it's got a lot of curiosity value. Dubois versus Usyk. As much as I like Daniel Dubois, he's a lo- lovely fella. Um, and you know what? Apparently, I padded him when he was nine years old. You know, took him on the pads, but yeah. I don't remember him. And that's what his dad tells me down in a Repton. So. That's kind of cool. But, um, yeah, um, I, I think that he's... Daniel has not shot... I don't think he merits a number one contender status, really, but we know how the game works, you know. Um, and that's why he's got it. I, I think Usyk has got far too many attributes for him, and I don't think his size and his undoubted, you know, punching power is going to make enough of a difference. I think he's going to be... I think he's going to be bamboozled by the, uh, by Usyk, to be honest with you. Um you know, we've seen this thing from Frank Warren's side saying that he's going to mess up all the best laid plans of mice and men, but I, I don't see it personally. Um, and, you know, has, um, has, has, is it fair to say that Engano has got a better chance of winning than this Scandinavia pageant than beating Tyson? Yeah, Jordan? well, I think so. So I'm just looking at the odds now. So Daniel Dubois, the highest odds you can get on him is eight to one yeah. to beat Yusek. The highest odds you could get on uh, Dillian White was from nine to two, so it's like four and a half to one, and that. Um, yes. So we'll have a look at Fury and Garner because I'd be interested to see kind of what the difference is in terms of the odds. Because I think Garner should be higher than Dubois. You know, um, like Danny Graham just said, he fancies Dubois. I think yeah. he said he fancies White as well. So I mean, that is a double. He, he, he is needs to do. A, he needs to do a double. Yeah. <laughs> Quite handy. Uh, odds checker, there we are. Right. Uh, Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou. Uh, so we got Fury's one to nine at best and Francis Ngannou seven to one. So actually, you can get slightly better odds, only very slightly, 
on Francis Ngannou to beat Fury, then you can't. Sorry, you can get better odds on Dubois to beat Usyk than you can get on Ngannou to Crazy, beat Fury. That is absolutely outrageous. And, and do you know what? Talking about Hagler Leonard, you could get seven to one in England on Leonard against Hagler, just straight win, no, no conditions on that. Which that's ludicrous, really, isn't it? That you've got a guy who's never, never had a, a boxing contest to the best of my knowledge. I don't. He hasn't boxed amateur, has he? And get him? No, no, I don't Not think so. I'll, I can okay. double check. I got his Wikipedia page up, so I will double check. But his um, early career started MMA, and he only started MMA in 2013. Um, yeah, it's all you know, okay. MMA so based, nothing remotely boxing related. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So it's, uh, yeah. It's, it yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Let me tell you something else interesting, by the way, because there is a precedent. I know this is not for the heavyweight championship of the world or for, for the WBC version, you know, because Usyk's got three of the belts. Phil, he's got the other one that some people regard as a premier belt for whatever reason. But, you know, um, there, there was a guy who boxed for the world heavyweight championship uh, in his first professional fight. That was Pete Rademacher in 1957 against Floyd Patterson. He was a 1956 Olympic gold medalist in uh, Melbourne, a heavyweight, and he fought Patterson in his first pro fight. And uh, and he actually had Patterson on the deck in round two before getting battered and floored several times and stopped in the sixth, right? But mm. here's an interesting thing for you, right? Technically speaking, it can't be a non-title fight. You know why? Because non-title fights, if you're a reigning world champion, they have to be uh, conducted above the weight. Like, you know, when, when Roberto Duran was the world lightweight champion and he lost to Esteban de Jesus, it's because they had that a few pounds over the lightweight uh, division limit. Yeah? Makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Now, for obvious reasons, a heavyweight can't do that, can he? So, no. technically speaking, this is why Joe Lewis knocked out one of his exhibition opponents, a guy called Johnny... Johnny something, his, his other name is failing me right now. But he, he knocked him out in a round, even though it was an exhibition set for four rounds. Because in the state of New York, they told him the title was at risk if he somehow lost the decision over four rounds. You know, because um, or, or, or if he got stopped, you know, freakish lightning bolt moment. Uh, so Lo Joe Lewis, rather than uh, taking a risk, he just he just blitzed the guy in a round, even though he was just... So Johnny Davis, his name was. And he was just some outgunned guy who had no credentials to fight Lewis whatsoever. But he was a bit worried that the title could be taken away from him in theory. Uh, so it can't be a non-title fight as such. Now, what that means is the WBC may not recognise Ngano as a challenger, and it may not set a title defence. But if they're consistent with their previous rulings, like back when Larry Holmes fought Marvis Fraser, they would not OK Holmes as a champion. Uh, what they said was, initially, if he were to lose to Marvis Fraser, then the title would be declared vacant, yeah? So that's what, they, yeah. in the end, they stripped him of the title and the IBF ended up recognising him and the, and the whole mess kind of proceeded into kind of what we got today. But technically speaking, if Ngannou did somehow beat Fury, the WBC would have to almost declare that title vacant and accept the fact that he'd surrendered his status as a champion because he'd been beaten out of the weight. Exactly that. And it's, ugh, but it's not going to happen. Just, it makes it all a bit even more farcical in some ways, doesn't it? Um, 
so it, it just saw Russell Penton said in the comments that he uh, had heard that Ngani would add some amateur boxing fights. So I was just looking. The only thing I can find is there's a, a passing comment in somewhere which says effectively he wanted to become a boxer before he became an MMA fighter. But I can't find any record of any amateur no. or professional fights. And I know that he only trained for 13 months before his first MMA fight. Because in his early MMA career, he very much was just power. There was no kind of, you know, of the other skills. That, you know, gra- yeah, no, no, no subtleties, no technique, no grappling, no wrestling. It was pure knockout power. And then he kind of developed those other skills as he was going. Um, but yeah, look, it's just, it is what it is. I cannot see a way that Tyson Fury isn't dancing around him, making it no. last as long as possible. So you don't think it's 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 a genuine, credible fight, essentially, whether there's an arrangement or whether they're just going to go mm. and, and let it all, you know, let it all hang out on the night. So you don't see it as a as a genuine sporting contest. Neither do I, and I don't think most boxing fans do. Certainly, I don't know how the MMA mob feel, you know, in, in their in their disappointed. I think is probably you think the so? best. Okay. Yeah. So neither code is embracing it. So that's why that's one of the reasons why I'm not covering it, other than the fact that it, it's a, it doesn't appeal to me whatsoever, and I don't have to because uh, I don't work for anybody. Uh, I think the vast majority of my audience um, is, is is absolutely not interested in it, and for that reason, I won't be buying into it. The same way I didn't buy into you know any of that other stuff with the guy Jake Paul and, and Fury's brother and all the rest of it. It's um, and you know what we should instead of just being negative and talking about things I'm not going to cover, mm-hmm. we've got a big week coming up the week after next. You've got Inoue versus Fulton in Tokyo in the midweek, which is brilliant. That's on a Tuesday. That'll be on at about 11 in the morning, I think, over here, which will be which will be a treat. Inoue might be the best fighter in the world anyway. You know, I know my friend Danny Doyle certainly constantly champions his status as the best fighter on the planet right now. We all know if he wasn't Japanese and he was several... You know, about thirty pounds bigger, he'd, make, he'd be a bigger star. And he'd make a lot more money, even though he's a he's a cult superstar, I believe, in Japan. Uh, that's a great fight. Um, and also, you've got Craw- Crawford versus Spence. You know, which is that is probably the most meaningful cut in all of world boxing. Uh, you know, we we can't complain forever. We are getting that one. So no. there's a lot to look forward to in July, regardless of the other thing. I mean, the Fury thing that we've been talking about tonight is not until October, is it? Anyway, late October. No. So it is what it is. We, boxing will survive it and MMA will survive it. If you happen to be interested in it and you're enjoying it and you think it's fun and you think I'm an old killjoy, I, I understand that. I get that. And that, that's fine. You know, we don't need to fall out over that, anybody. Yeah, indeed. But I'm out. After, right. after this one, I'm out, Simon. This is this is all this anyone's is getting from me about this the fight. Yeah. This is yeah. it. Well, I'm glad we could have a chat about it, mate. And like I say, in some ways, it suited me coming to speak about it because I could give a bit more of an insight into insight, yeah. Francis. But you know, it is do. where it is. It's, uh, it's, it's like I say, ultimately for me, I and it sounds like for you, it's, it's disappointing that this is the fight that these fighters have chosen to go for. But yeah, good luck to him. And you know, I will just finish by saying, like, good luck to Francis and Garnum in terms of getting paid because you know, he might not have been short of a few quid anyway, but he's still going to get a nice life changing amount which will set up his kids' kids. Yeah, his, so you know. Positivity there for you, from me. That's about as positive as I'll get about it. Uh, uh, 
One last thing. I mean, I've, I've obviously got complete principles and money means nothing to me, but if he needs a trainer or a boxing yes. consultant, could you have a word with him? I will. I, I may change my position. <laughs> I'm only joking. Absolutely. But, yeah, um, yeah okay. Well, it was, good, it, it was good to have this, this chat at least, uh, you know, um, and interesting to, 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 to find all that you feel basically the same way as I do, but from the other side of the fence, you know. Um, you guys... Please tune in next week. I hope the Silk's back. We've been two weeks without him, which is never good. Uh, thanks, Danny. Um, I'm glad it was a pleasure doing it as much as I, as I hope it was a pleasure for you t- to watch it. We will be back next week. The big week is a week after next, but we're going to have find something to regale you with next week. I hope the Silk's back. But in the meantime, be lucky. You know the rest. Keep punching. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.